0: to Make my Multiversity, the best podcast in our universe for exploring the Marvel multiverse. I'm Jake Hill. And I'm Elias Rosner. And this week, the book club is back with something short, but very broody. Excelsior! Excelsior to the short, and Excelsior to the broody. We do love ourselves a good broody book. Yeah, I like both those things. I mean, so this was an Elias pick for our book club, and... I would say that the majority of the time, it's a book. It's an issue that I've read, and Elias has not. Yeah, more more often than not. Um, but this one I had not read, and I think this gives me a deep insight into uh, the tone of your favorite stories. <laughs> totally. You like, you like madcap, and you like maudlin.
1: I I really do. I really do like a good maudlin story, uh, which is probably why I liked uh, many bits of Annihilation. Uh, I think you're saying that 2021 was the year of um, mostly reading stuff that you had read, but I had never read, (laughs) considering we did 156 issues I had never read before.
0: Yeah, I guess we're never really going to restore that balance unless we read like a a huge chunk of the JMS Spider-Man run that I've never read. Yeah. Yeah, that could do it. You never know.
1: Maybe, Maybe
0: next time. Speaking of your, your favorite guy, J.M.S., J. Michael Straczynski, that's who we're talking about today, because we are talking about Silver Surfer Requiem.
1: Yeah. So, a little background on this book. It's only four issues, which is very nice, uh, and it was published in 2007 uh, under the Marvel Knights imprint, uh, which, for those who don't know what the Marvel Knights imprint was, basically... Uh, Marvel was going bankrupt in the late 90s early 2000s uh, or it went bankrupt and they took a lot of their lesser known properties the you know the people who didn't really get a lot of attention people didn't really like them uh Captain America, Daredevil, Punisher um and they put them into a line called Marvel Knights which was a lot edgier a lot more grounded uh Joe Quesada spearheaded the whole thing And they were basically their own independent little line. uh, And we talked about them before. We've talked about Marvel Knights a few times. Uh, And, yeah, this falls kind of in the heyday of their publishing. And right between
0: Annihilation and Annihilation Conquest, too. It's like um, this is a whole era where it's really weird to talk about um, mature as the Mm -hmm. descriptor even though that's what got used a lot because it was like a combination of like dark shadowy grim stories um with characters like ghost rider and uh daredevil and then like really heady, weird space sci-fi stories that were kind of like emotional and psychedelic uh come in uh in silver surfer and also in uh, captain marvel that was coming out in marvel nights like mm-hmm. it's such a weird look at what america thought was uh for mature people it's like a combination of like oscar bait and like like trashy oscar bait like like <laughs> like, like, like when tarantino is like the the main the center point of art this is what you do you produce marvel nights
1: yeah, I was going to say I think the Max line really leans much harder into that.
0: Yeah, well the and the Max line, I guess uh, Marvel Knights is trying to be a PG-13 movie and Max is trying to be an R movie. Yeah.
1: I, I don't I... know cuz the main at the time probably, but the Marvel universe
0: really had like PG leaning on PG-13 on lock. Yeah, I just, I think they were being intentional about it with Marvel Knights in a way they hadn't yeah. for, uh, before. They, there was like a house style, and then they're like, let's do an imprint so we can uh, intentionally shift tone. And, mm-hmm. what, and, and the, because comic book writers often are very talented people, uh, a lot of those books ended up being really good, even if the editorial mandate coming from insane business people was insane. Yeah, yeah, that's putting it mildly. This is definitely—so I had never read Silver Surfer Requiem, and this is definitely, like, on the the classier end of Marvel Knights. Uh, it's very austere and artistic. Oh, yeah. And
1: I think a lot of that has to do with the artist on the book, who many may recognize, uh, especially now. Uh, uh, this is illustrated and colored by Asad Ribic, uh, who has—he did— most of, if he didn't do the entirety of but most of Thor, God of Thunder, uh, with Jason Aaron, and they re teamed for doing King Thor. Uh, he had his own in miniseries VS versus, but that's not Marvel. Uh, and he, this is early him. It's not his first work at Marvel. His first work, I think, was t- 2004's Loki miniseries with, um, No, he
0: he was doing – so I'm looking – at. I found a really exhaustive list, which surprised me because usually those things are hard to find. And Mm -hmm. he was doing work for hire um, in a bunch of indie books, and then his first Marvel book was two issues of Joe Casey's Children of the Atom in 2000. And then he did Uh, one issue of the Cable series that was coming out that same year, and Mm -hmm. he contributed to an X-Men annual in 2000. He was doing a bunch of – he did two issues of Ultimate X-Men with Chuck Austin, of all people, in 2002.
1: That's that's weird.
0: He but it looks like he was doing fill-in issues like whenever the yeah. schedule cuz the schedule was even more brutal then than it was now and people were books were delayed and dropping off all for all sorts of reasons. Mhm. So I, I guess they were losing artists and bringing in Assad Ribic in these early years. What's so funny also is I remember seeing his second big uh book which was the next Marvel Knights book he did Submariner the Depths with Peter Milligan. Mhm. I remember that coming out because that was coming out in 2008, 2009, which is when I was in college and I was getting back into comics. Um, Silver Surfer came out like right before then. So I, I just missed the cutoff of reading this live. Which is, that's wild. That's how close the cutoff is to me getting back into comics, just like where I was in the world. You just, you just missed it, like like a comet. And you turn and it's already gone. And I remember, so uh, Asad Ribic is known a lot uh, now for uh, doing like, very pin-up-y things sometimes. Especially of guy of guys. On, like, his Twitter, you see it all the time.
1: Yeah. I was I've gonna s- say, he... Sword and sorcery covers, he really captures that... the the feel of looking at a, at a pulp paperback.
0: Oh, don't tell me you still have it. I know I've told you you should look up uh, Margaret Brundage, right?
1: You have, you have. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I was just uh, reading about her again. But, um... Yeah, Saad Rivik is uh, reminiscent of uh, Brundage's work, and I remember I, the first thing I was struck by the first time I saw his work, uh, now that I realized, remember that he did Submariner the Depths, is he drew like a really sexy Namor, like an aggressively <laughs> catches your eye from across the room on the cover Namor, and um, there weren't a lot of other comics on the stands when that came out that had like such sexy men as the center of what was drawing them in, mm-hmm. so so openly and I think that's definitely true for uh, Rubik's art is very like um, no holds barred everything uncovered lays it all bare
1: unfiltered
0: when he's allowed (laughs) yeah you know when
1: he's drawing when you're drawing Marvel, you gotta you gotta keep it in us within a certain range you can't it's not like a DC black label where they'll allow it and then they'll censor it afterwards <laughs> no, no bat peen allowed.
0: Making that the most uh, valuable, uh, the valuable issue because uh, if you have yeah. bat peen, they just uh, they really knew what they were doing there. Uh, there's also <laughs> I'm I now remembering uh Rubik also did the uh, famously suggestive cover to um, Wolverine number uh, what was the number of that Wolverine number six. I don't know this cover. Google uh, Wolverine six cover you'll get uh it's wolverine's just like naked silhouette coming out of the darkness oh sorry nightcrawler's naked silhouette coming out of the darkness and wolverine with a very phallically placed beer bottle just like looking at him oh yes yeah and i just that cover like oozes sex in a way that few marvel things do and a lot of marvel things have like uh objectified women. But I'm talking about, like, uh, Assad Ribbick's covers are very, like, erotic in this really genuine way, and usually Mm -hmm. with, like, male eroticism, which is, again, unusual, especially at this time. Especially at this time. Especially at that time,
1: yeah. Uh, Anyone who's currently reading stuff will know his work from uh, The Eternals. He's been drawing that, and his... I think his his style has fit that really well. And he's been doing a lot of the Conan covers.
0: Yeah, love his Conan work. Yeah. Which, back to Sword and Sorcery. Right, that's so true. And this isn't Sword and Sorcery. This is different. And uh, Asad Rubik, he also drew uh, Secret Wars, where he featured a lot of these characters. he did. The the Jonathan Hickman Secret Wars. And a lot of the characters from this uh, reappear. And I like his versions of a bunch of these characters. And there's a couple stylistic things I'm going to specifically note on the way. But... Uh, it's great to see such a young Ribbick with such a pronounced style, but he hasn't quite like like uh, he, the, when he draws the thing here. The thing is kind of like lumpy and yeah. jag- and jaggedy, and like later he like really figures out his thing in this way. That's cool to watch his process. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. what do we what do we want to say about J. Michael Straczynski? We've talked about him at great length. We've talked about at great length
1: many times. Uh, I think most, the most we talked about him was when we did bullet points, which was another kind of Elseworlds style mini series, uh, and I guess that was a what if story. Actually, that was that was a what if.
0: Yeah, that was a what if. Uh, and as and this very much re- resembles a what if too.
1: Yeah, yeah. He did. Um, but I don't brief- know what else could could be really said that we haven't said before. For those who don't really know J. Michael Straczynski, he is a writer. I don't want to say like TV, comics, because he's pretty much written for everything. He wrote the movie Changeling. He wrote uh, Babylon 5. He worked on the real Ghostbusters and helped co-create She-Ra. Um,
0: like originally he, in the 80s. Yeah, like the 80s She-Ra. Because uh, he worked for filmation for a while,
1: but he then he wrote, also he... helped
0: uh, co-create Sensate, which is a fun mm-hmm. uh, vibe to throw into the mix. He did um, long historical runs on Spider-Man and Thor. Did like a the the Thor run that the the first Thor movie was most influenced by. I would say. Well, he wrote the first Thor movie. Oh, wrote the first Thor movie is in the first Thor movie. That's true. Yeah,
1: um, driving, driving a product. That's such a weird movie. I love it, but I love it too. It's a very weird movie.
0: I watched and that one a hundred he times. He's
1: written a great autobiography. He's written prose books. Um, but this he's really multi it all.
0: Real multi-hyphenate. Um, a guy who I really love and appreciate, but I, I just love how much he's Elias's guy. Because, like, <laughs> um, I don't know, like, a Kieran Gillen comics. Kieran Gillen's my guy. And I'm sure Elias loves a lot of Kieran comics. But I read those like a crazy person. And that's how you read J. Michael Straczynski. And I really appreciate that.
1: This is how you know he's your guy. You're reading Eternals. Your least favorite Marvel property ever.
0: I'm not ready to talk about Eternals yet. We're going to have to do a whole episode about Eternals. <laughs> Dustin Weaver did an issue of Eternals, and Dustin Weaver, holy crap. Holy
1: crap. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. We'll talk of, about that eventually.
0: Yeah, favorite artists of this podcast. But anyway, so um, let's dig into, um, yeah, let's, let's dig, dig, into, let's the, dig uh, into the, up. um, so before we so,
1: really get in, let's, uh, I just want the last person who was on the creative team was, uh, the letter VCs, Corey Petit. Uh, so this is actually Ribic coloring himself, which he does from time to time. I think I've Svorkina, I don't know how to pronounce it exactly does a lot of coloring on Ribbick in the future. And I think it captures both the way he colors and just suits him really well. But it was really interesting to see Ribbick color himself
0: as well. Totally. And um, I made note of that as well. So I I'm going to... I'm going to avoid going beat by beat in each issue in the story because it's very reflective and slow-paced, but each issue tells a little story, which is already just, like, great A-plus comics creation from J. Michael Straczynski, who, um, like, is a real excellent craftsman at whatever he's doing, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And when you try to, like, summarize it, it's like, well, you can summarize each issue in one or two sentences. It's really simple. But when you're reading it, you get lost in the mood. You're really sucked in. And it's not about the what that's happening. It's more about the the how and the why.
0: Yeah. And so then something that I appreciated a little bit less, I, it was like a literary device that he chose and stuck with, but kind of I thought it was a mistake. Mm-hmm. Was he plays coy with a lot of information? Where yeah, where he'll say um, there'll be dialogue, and then something it'll cut to the narration, and it'll say like he asked her a question, and then he won't tell you what the question was for like eight pages, and I'm just and then when he tells you, you're just like yeah, that's kind of what I assumed the question was based on the way he was acting for the last eight pages, like why did you, I you know for there was some sort of artistic intention that didn't land with me. Yeah, I I mean.
1: I like some of it. I like that. I like it being kind of not mysterious, but
0: you know. Right, not so, really get all the information all at once. Yeah, it's real TV pacing and a more uh, in, in visual storytelling. I, I can see this being really good. Uh, but so it, Silver Surfer comes to Earth and uh, he's got a mysterious uh trouble. And he's really sad about it, which isn't unusual for him. He's sad about most of his troubles. And so he goes to the, the first he visits the Fantastic Four. Um, and this is where the, the the it's hard to summarize because of all the playing coy, because we find out eventually that Silver Surfer is dying. And this becomes a really familiar format to a lot of legendary Superman stories uh, to talk a little bit about the Distinguished Competition. Mm hmm. You, yeah. you know you're more of a DC guy than I am, Elias. You, you know what I'm talking about, though, right? I do. I don't—I mean, the,
1: the All-Star Superman kind of yeah, starts uh, with this.
0: Yeah, All-Star Superman is a, is the the most read example of this, and that's Grant Morrison playing tribute to um, a Silver Age story called, uh, I think, A World Without Superman. Mm-hmm. Uh, which famously also made Superman uh, Superman's dying and he he knows he's only got a matter of time, so he does like a bunch of Superman stuff. Yeah. Um Yeah, and right. it's just like it's very common to um make Superman grapple with his own mortality as like a godlike super being. And that's exactly what this is. It's Silver Surfer is doing like a little tour through his life and this like poignant reflection on his own mortality as he's dying. And is the Silver Freaking Surfer?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like
0: how how does the Silver Surfer
1: die? Well, you're, we're given we're given a a fun explanation, not
0: fun, but we're it, given it, like it's a, a clever good, way, like a good understands the pseudoscience of the mm-hmm. the, the genre explanation. Yeah, I, so I guess
1: this first issue sets up what what's going to happen for the rest of the for the for the rest of the the series and i just i kept thinking while reading it i just liked seeing everyone just kind of palling around uh and because Ribbic's art is and his coloring kind of has that that somewhat washed out painterly look there's kind of it feels like everything is overcast and you've got, you're just kind of stewing and, and it, it captures the brood really well. Uh, even when there's a big punch up on a, on a splash page, um, which is reminiscent
0: of like an Alex Ross tableau or or a kirby tableau i guess that's but, so funny but... so my my next mm-hmm. note and what i was just about to bring up was that the um the blue lights that wash over everybody in these this weird epic painterly ways right out of alex ross
1: mm-hmm. alex
0: ross has always has these like bright lights that you never know where they're coming from um <laughs> that just like drench the entire superhero painting in like a blue or a pink or something yeah uh and, uh, and R- Ribic is uh, doing that exact same thing. And it looks really good. Like, it makes everyone look larger than life and, like, mythic. And that's a great tone for Fantastic Four. There's, like, a lot of f- fun tones you can make work for Fantastic Four. But the mythic one works
1: really well, especially here when it's not about the Fantastic Four. It's about the Silver Surfer. And because the first interaction on Earth is with... Silver Surfer and the Fantastic Four. You gotta start there.
0: Yeah, and um, Straczynski writes uh, like a pitch perfect Fantastic Four, right? Mm -hmm. I really love. I I really loved
1: his the thing. I love whenever he writes the thing. He he had an issue uh, of Spider Man with the thing there. I think he wrote a few issues of Fantastic Four too.
0: I believe. Um, I, I believe that is true, and that they are collected in his store omnibus, which I own. Yeah, because you know. they inv- they involve uh, Doctor Doom and Mjolnir. Oh yeah. His the thing is, I think what makes his, the thing so good is he's real. His Ben Grimm is like really caustic and like has mm-hmm. like like a dark sense of humor. Yeah. Um, where I feel like sometimes people do the thing as boisterous and cheery, uh, J. Michael Straczynski really captures. Uh, how he's the it's like a tragic character at, at the core of it, even while he's being darkly funny. Yeah. Um, his Johnny Storm is like, and his Sue Storm are about as good as can be, I guess. Um, Johnny's definitely like a hothead prone to misunderstanding, and Sue is definitely like a nurturing, worried, understanding maternal figure. Yeah,
1: it gets the dynamic well, and. That's what I've always kind of loved uh, about about his writing. He knows how to get characters to play well together, even when they're like antagonistic. Like it, it never feels like I'm reading about you know someone pretending to be these characters. It's just we're sitting in a room watching them talk to each other, and that's where the drama comes from.
0: Um. Yeah, because uh, due to the, I mean, not that there's not a little bit of action in the story. In fact, there's one great scene of action that Ribbit gets to draw memorably. But a lot of these issues are just um, Surfer cruising around and having uh, meaningful conversations with various Marvel figures. Mm-hmm. Um. So, Mister Fantastic diagnoses him with a bad case of. Did you have it in front of you, like the space dying?
1: Yeah, he's got the space dying. Uh. Basically, he says that. The material that covers his body, the silver of the Silver Surfer, which is made up of the Power Cosmic, is essentially breaking down because it's, you know, it's a machine and it's getting old. Uh, Even though the Power Cosmic is unlimited or whatever, it's. That's the conceit. The conceit is that he's running out of it. Yeah. And because he is essentially, you know, he and this outer shell are one. As it breaks down, he breaks down, uh, and he's only got about a month to live, which um, is a really short amount of time.
0: Yeah, they're they, they, Straczynski is so good at digging into the logistics of this sort of thing. Like, um, he knows exactly what sorts of details draw me into the world. Like, he, there's a, one point Mr. Fantastic mentions that the silver coating is just a few microns thick. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, all right, that's like a crazy science explanation. Uh, that's that that impresses me, you know. <laughs> it's really yeah. just a few microns thick. And then um, I I got the impression from his confusing but uh, well-written explanation, his intentionally confusing explanation that because Noran Rad, the guy who is the Silver Surfer, is mortal and the, he's like encased in a silver shell, he, like the mortality was still sealed within him, and so he like made the power cosmic mortal through his mortality. Hmm. I did. I didn't. I didn't put that together. But
1: I think that's a a good way of reading it. I I just kind of accepted that face value. I'm like,
0: well, it's just starting to break down. It's old. Yeah. And what's beautiful about Straczynski's writing there is, I think that the it's open to both interpretations. So neither of them yeah. are like a bad reading. Yeah. Uh. So that's most. That's
1: basically issue one. It's Silver Surfer visits the Fantastic Four. They, we get kind of an idea of, well, he's dying, and now he's... And we get a bit of a recap for anyone who doesn't know who the Silver Surfer is or his relationship to the Fantastic Four. We I, get a short dramatization of Norrin Rad, who becomes the Silver Surfer, on planet Zen-La. And that kind of forms the core of the series. It's he's going to be traveling from one of his homes to his other. And that's kind of his final track
0: yeah and i always this is the mark of a good superhero comic writer is somebody who can do the origin story in like two sentences a couple of panels whatever and usually uh when they're talented enough it can be really beautiful like uh i'm gonna keep on calling back to all-star superman i guess because it reminded me so much but famously all-star superman opens with four panels two words each and that's the whole superman origin story in like a really moving way yeah and I think Straczynski captures that too. He also, I like, I'm always impressed when there's a writer who's not reinventing the wheel. They're just being true to the core of the character. And uh, this was just all him doing classic Silver Surfer stuff, right?
1: Yeah. He's Broody. He visits Earth. He, he does some superheroes. He shows up at the Paracosmic. But he's, he. Um, he's mostly just Broody.
0: Yeah, so in the second issue. Um, after he leaves the Fantastic Four and he's kind of thinking, what can I do to Earth? How can I uh, gift my home, in a, my adopted home in a worthy way? He, um, There's like a weird mecha guy, great one-off villain, great design by Rubik, and great, just like, as many details as you needed from Straczynski. I, I, he never even got a name as far as I can recall. Yeah, I don't think, whatever he is, he's fighting Spider-Man when he shows up. I just, I like that... Um, Spider-Man, the, in Straczynski and Rimmick's version of the Marvel Universe, this guy isn't notable enough that we ever learn his name. But, like, I remember what he looked like. He was very cool. Yeah. Cool, until, cool mecha guy. Cool mecha guy until the server-server just
1: kind of shows up and is like, Spider-Man told you to stop. You didn't. So you deserve this. And then he f- zaps him and destroys the whole thing.
0: Yeah. And the so... Our cosmic... So you're much—I uh, for I think for you, Peter Parker probably has the voice that Straczynski writes him with, right? That's, like, your definitive voice for him? Yeah. Yeah. This was—I read it, I was like, oh, yeah, there's Spider-Man. There's Spider-Man. Because I—and I, we're really going to have to figure out how to square this between you and I someday. This will be our ultimate—this is, like, our ultimate destiny. Um, is <laughs> I really uh, treasure the slot run, and I really love how slot writes Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. it's so totally different. No, it's not totally different. It's, it's really in, uh, in lockstep. But um, just Straczynski is so good. At, I think that Straczynski is good at picking up on like the sadness of Peter Parker's life in a really meaningful way. And he also mm-hmm. really writes Peter Parker feels like a modern young adult. He feels mature and responsible and a uh, little in over his head.
1: <laughs> yeah, especially when, you know, Norn Rad tells him, he's like, well, what can I do to help the Earth? And Spider-Man just kind of he squats down and he sits on top of a roof and he's just thinking he's like but if we do this there's no guarantee that this will work is like a lot of those arguments like it's kind of refuting some of the if you had all the power in the world what could you do arguments in a way because you know one person and and it's an interesting if not critique of the superhero the core of what superheroes are and do in like that constructed way that a lot of people do, uh, give towards it, because you know he's like, well, you could topple all these dictatorships. He's like, but we oh, every time we've we've done that, you know, just simply toppling them doesn't do good because then another dictator comes up, or if we you know give everyone just sudden diamonds,
0: then diamonds become worthless. Right, and it's the uh, the old if Reed Richards is so smart, then how come the world's such a shitty place to live? Yeah. Um, and they just have it. But what's really nice about it is that debate is rooted in, uh, in the character so much. It's like it doesn't feel like the characters are proxies for, like, fan sides of that argument. It really yes. feels like Spider-Man um, rationalizing the limits of tremendous power like the surfers.
1: Yeah, and
0: the tremendous
1: action of like one thing of doing one thing it's like well one thing can't solve all these problems or any of them it's like or they they are also not guaranteed and that's what he struggles with a little bit there too which i found really interesting he's like well we could do this but then this might happen it's like it's not a surefire solution so Maybe something else. I really liked. I I love the little panel. Like we got these serious, heady things. And then he's like, "You could, yeah, no." Some people actually like Brussels sprouts. I just no. Like he's he's really thinking about it, but he's he makes time to have a little bit of a quip, but not like an annoying quip.
0: I also thought it was crazy how charming I found uh, the pop culture references, which were really weird, Um, in part because each of the jokes go on long enough that if you don't know what the pop culture reference is, you, like, get the vibe of what that kind of thing is. Like, mm-hmm. Spider-Man has this entire joke about, um, I, do you want to go to the movies? We can see the sequel to Team America, Team Canada. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and just, like, that joke is, like, so antiquated to me now that it comes around the other side and becomes charming. Mm-hmm. Of, like, when in the world this takes place is when Peter Parker, uh, like, a 29-year-old would be cracking Team America jokes. And yeah. then, and then also, um, there's a Howard Stern joke later where Spidey's just like clowning on Howard Stern. And any of you don't know who Howard Stern is, you get the idea of what sort of guy he is. Yeah. Um, but just like in 2007, a lot of things hadn't happened. Podcasts hadn't been invented yet, really.
1: Yeah, there weren't really. A th- I mean, the internet was still... A different not thing. ...not great at disseminating large files.
0: Um... But, uh, yes, yeah, Straczynski's Peter Parker just feels, like, really genuinely like a dude in a way where Dan Slott's Peter Parker feels more like the protagonist in a shounen anime. <laughs> just, like, clueless about girls, has the biggest heart in the world, really wants to do the right thing. Yeah, and part of that, I think,
1: is due to what editorial wanted. Like, J. Michael Straczynski is writing him as, as an adult. Uh, he's kind of, out, you know, still retains a lot of the aspects but he's writing him firmly as like married adult he's got a job and all of that and peter parker in slots run is a lot more carefree juvenile like he's still an adult but he's more the bachelor
0: yeah, they really, actually, I think both of them nailed what they were going for. But yes. I, I missed the Struzynski thing. I guess that's one of the reasons why the, um, the first uh, PlayStation Spider-Man game, the recent one, is so appealing mm-hmm. to me because that really captured the uh, young adulthood of uh, Peter Parker. I mean, that was mm-hmm. like a fresh out of college kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I just, I really like, um, I forgot how much I like Straczynski's Spider-Man. It was really nice to see him here. I also really like that Straczynski never oversells you on the bond between Surfer and Spider-Man. Like, they don't know each other that well. It's just mm-hmm. that Straczynski's using him in this fable as a representative of the everyman, the people of Earth, just like the regular citizens, even though he's got superpower, because that's who Spider-Man is in, mm-hmm. uh, compared to the Surfer or Reed Richards or any of the other characters in the entire story, actually. Yeah, and because you know, Surfer is is in New York, and
1: Spider Man is kind of the quintessential New York hero after the Fantastic Four, Uh, and like he's so deeply rooted within New York, he couldn't work in any other city, I don't think.
0: I always wonder about that. Um, I think it would be fun to try to do if if, one ever. What if Spider Man grew up in Chicago? Just or maybe just do like a a an arc where every issue is a different major u s city and like he spider man has to like do really quintessentially that city things and try to swing around
1: dealing with san francisco he falls down uh falls down the steep
0: hills yeah, i think that this i think this could be kind of fun, but just like also set him to like i don't know like uh uh springfield and to uh like uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, Yeah, Pittsburgh. Yeah, Spidey in Pittsburgh sounds great. (laughs) You'd have to get a good writer to do it, though. Uh, Spidey in Philly. Spidey in Austin. Mm. Yeah. Um. Anyway, but so uh, when we meet Spidey at the beginning of this issue, he's looking to buy a gift for MJ, and he's getting, like, really disrespected by the jewelry store oh, Lady, yeah. which was, like, intense <laughs> and insane to read, but, like, um, good, man. I, I thought that scene was bouncy and fun. And then it comes together later where Spidey asks Surfer to give MJ his powers for a minute for her mm-hmm. birthday. And... Yeah. Um, that, that scene was weird for me. I mean, he wrote it. I got what he was going for. I got why that could be a gift. And Superman's always doing this shit. He's always giving Lois a potion. Yeah, I mean, in All-Star Superman, he literally gives Lois a potion. Yeah, exactly. But uh, the way Ribic draws it with such the, all this cosmic grandeur, so his faces haven't really come together yet as an artist.
1: Yeah, especially with MJ. Yeah, <laughs> so
0: it's I mean— a little uh, it helps that some characters like uh, Spider-Man's got a mask. Uh, the Thing is a monster. The Surfer is a monster. Reed Richards has a whole bit about his eyes popping out of his head. So when you see him looking weird, it doesn't look weird. <laughs>
1: um,
0: but MJ's supposed to have this look that's supposed to like an acting moment where she's supposed to sell me on her uh, or how overwhelmed she is by this cosmic awareness. But how this brought her bliss and happiness and peace. Mm
1: hmm.
0: And um, so, like, overwhelming happy bliss is, like, a real tough emotion, and I don't think Ribbit gets there. And it looks more horrifying than fun as a birthday gift. It doesn't make me think that Peter got her a very nice gift. I mean, she thought he did. Well, yeah, the writing tells me that uh, she thought it was a nice gift, but the art kind of made me think otherwise. I was like, uh uh-oh. I think she's going to have have nightmares for at least a couple weeks.
1: I mean, probably, but maybe she'll also be, you know, one of those those good nightmares
0: that I've heard so much about. Um, If anyone could write it, it's J. Michael Straczynski, I suppose. (laughs) Um, But so then what I loved about the end of this issue is it came together as a sort of powerful science fiction story where the surfer uh, gives that cosmic awareness to every human on Earth and he can only sustain it for five minutes before uh, it would, like, blow him up. So he's got to turn it off. And there's just a reflection on, like... uh, would that... the backdrop of a city, I was gonna say he he draws first.
1: He draws just this immense cosmic storm, and then the next page is all of these different you know faces and eyes against a um uh you know, I guess the backdrop of the city being washed out by the power power cosmic, uh, and that's kind of the the contemplative moment with this narration cascading down the page.
0: Yeah, and this stuff Ribic sells so well, and this is where I also think Straczynski, as an excellent comic scripter, is—it's paying off. Where like he's describing the wash, you know, they're all getting absorbed by this uh, overwhelming energy, and then Rubik's like, yeah, and interpreting that, and that's amazing mm-hmm. to see. They and they really they land the big moments together. They both are so familiar with the rhythms; they know when they've got to sell one of these like emotional sci-fi beats.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and I. I mm-hmm. What I liked is that um, it was after they do it. There's this reflection where it's like, and did that moment really change anybody? By um, by Surfer giving everybody five minutes of cosmic awareness where they could see their insignificance in the entire universe and the order of things, t- did anybody's life change and they chose a different path? Was there somebody who was gonna, uh, you know, do a murder or, or fight in a war who maybe uh, turned to a path of peace? And it's really sentimental and schmaltzy, and I really think that's a great tone for Marvel sci-fi.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I think just simply having that moment, but leaving it be open ended was the right move because it could have been easy for this, especially as like a um kind of an Elseworlds story to be like, and then there was world peace. But we've just spent all this time being like there one single action like this cannot ensure it, but it's important to try. and it's And this is the kind of thing that's like, we don't know if it would have worked.
0: But he brought everyone peace for five minutes, and that's important. Yeah, and that's worth something. And maybe it's worth even more than it. Like it's worth. It's nice, and it might even be more than nice. It might be good. It might be mm-hmm. both nice and good. I, yeah, and that's what why hanging out with Spider Man so important. Because Silver Surfer doesn't has struggles with both those things. He's kind of rude, and he did a bunch of evil stuff. So he's learning how to be nice, and he's learning how to be good. And Spidey's a great person to teach you that. Yeah,
1: yeah, he really is.
0: Yeah yeah loved this second issue um i thought it was a standout and a real good little story and um when we come back from the break i am excited to talk about the final two issues
1: Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week
0: out. And now, back to your show. And welcome back. Uh, we are talking Silver Surfer Requiem by uh, Elias's all-time fave, J. Michael Straczynski, and one of the all-time greats himself, Asad Ribic. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we've got just two more issues to go um, in this short and sweet series. So the third issue uh, opens with a uh, surfer is meeting with another major figure of the Marvel Universe story. Yeah, Good I old guess old Doctor Strange. Yeah, Stephen Strange, the Sorcerer Supreme himself. And I guess I again I just what what I'm realizing as we're talking about this what I what what felt so real to me was this was a story about relationships and surfers re- strange alien relationships and their significance with each of these people uh, felt properly uh, deep or shallow as the case may be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And in this case, Dr. Strange is probably his other closest friend on earth outside of the fantastic four because of their time on the defenders together. Oh, I, d- I didn't really know
1: that. I figured part of this was also, you know, you gotta bring in the magic people to at least address well why can't this be solved by magic
0: yeah that ends up being the story reason but yeah surfer and strange are two of the core members of the traditional defenders line which Mm -hmm. also often uh, includes namor the submariner and the hulk Mm -hmm. um in various configurations. And what's fun about the defenders is whenever they meet up, they're not really a team. They don't have a headquarters or a uniform or a goal or anything. It's just those guys uh, bump into each other and they're like, "Ah, I guess we'll just deal with this problem. And (laughs) when Surfer and Stranger are on the team, the stakes get really high and Cosmic and Mystical, right? And they're usually the only two people in that league. And then the Hulk is the strongest one there is, which is good to have. And Namor is super hot and chiseled, which is also good to have. And he's also very good at the diplomacy when the
1: diplomacy is get away. I'm a king.
0: (laughs) Yeah, um, but yeah. So this, I I was really thinking about uh, how Doctor Strange really came to care for the Silver Surfer, and they saw each other and the respect that they held for each other Mm -hmm. in that scene. I just love Doctor Strange having like mutual respect with these like enormous, larger than life figures. That's always such a fun relationship. Yeah. And I mean and his role here is very very
1: minimal, very slight. It's mostly just to be like we put our heads together. We couldn't really we can't solve your problem. But and like because this story isn't about Silver Surfer struggling to cure himself and it's more of he's already accepted it. Like he's accepted it even before page 1. Uh it's more of what can I do with this my my final time. Uh this the news isn't really like a big turning point. It's kind of just another another beat to to reinforce and then provide Surfer with, you know, some more things to brood on. Uh I think yeah, uh, what well, is it? What's the think... line? Here it is. Uh Doctor Strange brings up uh a Basically, it's the, the entire knowledge of our world, all the secrets we have hidden, all the truths we have forgotten, all our songs, all our stories, all our greatness, all our foolishness. It is divided in two parts, that which existed before you came and that which was created after you came and saved our world from extinction. The fire of that knowledge will merge with you, will always be a part of you. Turn your thoughts to it. Tune your spirit to the frequency of our flawed humanity and you will hear it all. This way, you will always know what you preserved and what was created through your kindness.
0: And what good, Doctor Strangeing that is. That is so fucked up and cool and weird, and just like that's so spiritual too. That's like a that sounds like a real religion would uh, believe that that's what happens to you in the afterlife, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I um, I loved that whole that whole scene was an excellent way, and it and it could have been like the
0: end of an issue, but here it's the beginning. Yeah, and it's legit so moving. Just, like, when you die, you see the world before you were in it, and then the world after you're in it, and uh, you get to judge whether or not, like, uh, your impact was positive or negative. And that's just for you to decide. And that's what Doctor Strange offers Surfer, because he was so sure that that would be a lovely gift because mm-hmm. of what a, a wonderful presence and, uh, and sorts of inspiration the Silver Surfer is. Yeah. Which is, like, that's kick-ass stuff, you guys. Yeah. Um, but and most of the story is not about that. That's just like a lovely, powerful moment at the beginning of it. Most of it is like a really traditional Silver Surfer comes to a weird planet with problems and uh, they're obstinate and don't want his help. And then he helps them despite themselves.
1: Yeah, which is, which is interesting to kind of have in the middle of this. But if you're doing a, a greatest hits of Silver Surfer, you kind of got to do like, well, what was he up to on his own? What was his solo stuff?
0: Yeah, and, and it's wonderful because it's yeah. right after, like, after promising, uh, they're like, "Silver Surfer, you made meant so much to us on Earth." Just like on his way to go home to die, he just like randomly stops at a planet he's never heard of and has never heard of him, or yeah, they have heard of him actually. Um, yeah, because they bring him in. Yeah, and but and he just like saves one more planet. He just like affects one more culture and people in history mm-hmm. by uh, making a stop on his way home to go bite it um <laughs> did you notice how much these aliens looked had a similar design to gore the god butcher <laughs> a, a little bit yeah they're the same like pale broad-faced tentacle head guys that Ribic likes to draw it's a great design and he draws it so memorably and this is kind of like his signature monster design i think and so it's fun now because other artists have drawn gore Mm-hmm. So we've seen like other interpretations of just like his favorite little creature design, but man, uh, th- were these guys just like, yep, yeah, that's what Rubik likes.
1: Yeah, and I mean they feel properly alien. They're reptilian in. They look kind of like dinosaurs and and lizards and whatnot.
0: Yeah, they got like a snake nose and like a weird forked head. It's cool. Yeah,
1: I loved it. Uh, I I think issue three for me was the is the weakest of the four issues, if but I, I think it's still really them. good.
0: If I had to rank them, sure, but it's it's such a necessary part of the story they're telling. Oh like, yeah. you, like you said, um, but in arguing the importance of the Silver Surfer, you got to show him doing what the Silver Surfer does. Mm-hmm. And I like also, it's, I
1: mean, of course Silver Surfer's gonna do this, but like it's it's a big, it's another kind of anti-war statement and message. It's just being like, really, this is how this is going. Yeah, well, It's whatever. not even like – because normally when we see two warring whatevers, they always – like, both sides just hate each other. Like, that's it. And, like, whatever – it doesn't matter what started it um, because sometimes it's, you know, something really stupid. Sometimes it was something that it's like – whatever the case. But here, well, the – it doesn't matter what started it because the leaders are both in the same room. They're drinking whatever and they're like, our people are at war and they're kind of just squabbling. It's like, yeah, but it doesn't matter who – you know, they they'll die.
0: We can sit in this room and we'll be fine. Right, because, well, well, the core theme of all Silver Surfer stories is something like um, Surfer doesn't uh, – Surfer – doesn't believe that uh, humans have the right to live because of all the suffering that they inflict. And then when he sees that the goodness that people offer, uh, he is touched enough to spare them. And that's the same thing here, is he comes here and he's just like, I believe that you guys are capable of greatness even though you're doing all this bullshit. And they're like, no, the bullshit is our favorite part of life. And he's just like, yeah, but it's not. <laughs> poof, uh, poof, with a wave of my hand, your mighty weapons turn off. Yeah. Yeah. I I I will
1: restart your engines and shut your engines off to give you plenty of time to escape this dying planet.
0: Yeah, and um, yeah. and good stuff. It's like the thesis of all the famous Stanley Silver Surfer stuff, uh, done really well in a one shot by an excellent creative team. And in issue four, he arrives at ho- he arrives home. Mm-hmm. Now. I have a Silver Surfer continuity question that I was looking into, and I got a little confused by. Maybe you can help mm-hmm. me out. So when he Probably comes not, home, but... Shalabal, his his great love, who he left behind to become the Silver Surfer, is alive on on Zen Law. Yeah. I had always gotten the impression that Silver Surfer had like left Zen Law to become the Surfer like eons ago, like thousands of years. Because he's always like the untold wonders I have seen, the countless worlds I have destroyed, and I'm like, if it's been like 15 years or whatever since you left home, it's not untold and uncounted. It's just like a big number.
1: I th- no, I think he had left for a long time. Here, there was a line about um, how oh, uh, if you were attempt to give back to Norn the portion of the power cosmic you were given. We have no assurances that will make any difference. So I think Zenla was given. Not Zenla. uh, Uh, Shalabal was given the bit of the power cosmic, and that's kept her alive.
0: Okay, because. So what I had. uh, I I have never
1: read any stories with. (laughs) With Shalabal in it.
0: I've read Shalabal before, but. So what I had read was that she was a construct of some sort. That. it gets confusing because this story, of course, doesn't take place in Marvel Earth 616. It takes place on Earth 77119. And that got confusing mm-hmm. to look up which version of Shalabal this was. But in the 616, and you know, before the point of divergence of this story, at one point there's like a robot artificial version of Shalabal that's bought to life. And I guess that's through the power cosmic, and I missed that.
1: I guess so. I don't know. I, I just kind of accepted. That it. I was like, "Oh, she's still alive. Cool."
0: Um, I gotta tell you that um, I understand why it's kind of like byronic and poetical to have a Shalabal in his backstory. Mm-hmm. But nobody ever writes her as a character. She doesn't have any interest. She doesn't have a job. She doesn't like. Uh, she. she The surfer is, like, a very broad character who just, like, wants to do good and be good and is, like, a cosmic good. And then having Shalabal is just, like... And she's, like, a girl who likes that. (laughs) It's kind of, like, (laughs) uh, always been a thin character for me. And she doesn't have to do much here, but, um, yeah, Shalabal uh, doesn't do it for me. I wish somebody would write the definitive Shalabal story. Maybe it'll be Al Ewing.
1: And, I, I mean, I don't think there really could have been much... You know he could have done with Shalala Ball here because this was the the surfer dying on his home planet. Yeah, that, that was pretty much all there was. There wasn't any room to really explore that, and if what she what came before was already pretty
0: thin, you know, as a, well. You can especially really so much, especially because. Um, Shalabal is kind of there just to represent the nostalgia of returning home and like the first great sacrifice that the surfer made before he trekked the cosmos. But then his real love of his life shows up, Galactus, and is, that's like the bulk yeah. of the story of the issue, right? Yeah, it is, and
1: it's surprisingly touching. Well, like, I've you don't read a think lot of... of Galactus as being a character that that evokes that kind of uh feeling within you uh
0: what i've i've read a quite so, so that's a, a great relationship like i liked at the end of um at the end of annihilation when silver surfer becomes the herald again mm-hmm. uh he and he and galactus like really seem to recognize each other and like have this affection and i really like that uh both surfer and galactus even like with the power con- cosmic have this like Sense of nobility and honor and loyalty, and they understand that like uh, people being loyal to each other is a good thing in the universe. Uh, even if they, sometimes it would cause them to like uh, be annoying, you know, like uh, mm-hmm. want want to make someone spare a certain planet because they're loyal to the people on it or something. And yeah. and I also like with Galactus, I feel like that's a tough relationship to write well because Galactus is. A villainous tyrant, you know? He's, like, this powerful being who, like, um, enslaves the surfer, essentially. The surfer uh, consents to it, but it's, you know, with a gun to his head. Yeah, and then he erases
1: all of his memories. So for a long time, he forgot Zen La. He forgot all the lessons of yeah. why he accepted the role.
0: Yeah. Right, and... And I feel like in most situations, uh, writing the humanity of that situation would uh, emphasize how abusive that relationship is. But because these aren't human characters and it's so removed from humanity, like the the emphasis is on how alien they are. Mm-hmm. It's a really fascinating way to explore those power dynamics and like the love at the core of it because they've shown each other loyalty and they've sacrificed things for each other to like prove their loyalty to each other over the years. And that's why they have to do right by each other and like be sentimental even though galactus is like the absence of sentiment.
1: Yeah. And I guess part of that's also silver surfer helped galactus grow in whatever way cuz part of part of the core of galactus is that he's kind of this this force of nature. He's like a, you know, hurricanes are not evil, but they are destructive and terrible. And Galactus is the same way. He may be sentient, but he is still kind of conceived of as a force of nature in the same way. And, like, you could try to mitigate and change it. But with the Silver Surfer being there, he's not acted as a mitigating force over the years. But I'd like to think that, like, in this story, by this point, that's what Galactus is kind of showing up here. He's like, this is what I have learned from you just as you have learned like you have learned from the people of earth people of the universe i then learned from you because
0: you know of the relationship that we've had well and and that ultimately the the story of the silver surfer at its core is going to be the story of um an angel who grew a conscience and like taught god to be less wrathful
1: that's a that's a really good description
0: yeah, well, and I think that that's intentional. There's a lot of, like, intentional uh, biblical imagery mm-hmm. that uh, that Stanley is seizing upon when he's creating these characters. And Silver Surfer, yeah. he's always said, was his favorite.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but I think it's also a really interesting structure for this story that um, what, what Straczynski is asserting about the Silver Surfer is it's not about his relationship with the Fantastic Four and his friendship to them. It's not about what he's done for the everyday people. Or it's not just about that. It's not just about what he's done for everyday people living on Earth or about his friendship with the uh, mystics who would seek his great wisdom or the uh, random worlds in which he encounters on his travel. It's not even about his world or um, his supposed great love. It's about his relationship with like one of the most powerful beings in the universe and reminding it um, of the value of... like. Life and existence and stories and people's stories, mm-hmm. and um, and it, and and that's true. That's what Silver Surfer is about, and that's uh, that's why this story works so well. Is just like uh, Struzinski is just uh, definitively telling uh, th- these these requiem stories are like a perfect way to talk about the meaning of the character, and he does it yeah. beautifully. He really does, and
1: combined with you know Ribic just giving these beautiful moody i i love the the splash page of you know once Norinrad he's dead he's on his coffin you've got all the people of zenla kind of around him and you've got shallabal crying against the the coffin or the open whatever that he's lying on and you just see galactus in the background in front of this really big moon no that's his that's his ship yeah that's, that's ship a tattoo yeah, just overlooking the entirety of this um, of the city and the narration helps kind of soften the image. The image itself is very powerful, but the, the narration tells us that, you know, he didn't move and the people of Zenla and Galactus reconsidered each other during this time because of the power of the Silver Surfer.
0: Yeah. And Ribbick draws a great Galactus. Like, a a bad Galactus can just kind of look like a Caucasian guy in a silly hat. (laughs) And Ribbick's Galactus, just, like, the enormity of his features and how stretched out they are, and they're craggy. Like, his face looks like mountains, and the way his helmet covers his eyes with those weird sunglasses things. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, he really looks... Godly in a way that a few other uh, artists, a lot of art, artists, can capture his weirdness or his might, but just like a, the, the mythic quality that Ribbit gives to it is so cool. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, it turns out that Uwatu was narrating the whole thing, and I was like, "Nice." I was going <laughs> to say so- that—that's a good way of tying it in. And of course, he would be. Of course, and these are like some of his buds. These are some of his favorite people to watch. That yeah. creepy watcher. <laughs> what a creep and wasn't his wasn't he
1: an integral part of that first story too he comes I, down and is like galactus is coming i can't
0: do nothing yeah the, the very first appearance of silver surfer is who shows up as like galactus is coming and then the surfer comes in he's like i'm the herald of galactus i'm here to herald his arrival and then everyone's like wow this guy sounds pretty dramatic and then galactus shows up and he was pretty dramatic good nail in the landing lee and kirby <laughs> and good nailing the landies, landing Straczynski and ribic An amazing team who I would love to see work together one more time. Maybe on a DC book, who knows? I don't think uh, Straczynski is going to come back to Marvel anytime soon.
1: No, and I don't think he's going to come back to DC either, because both of his uh, runs got completely cut by the new 52.
0: Also, uh, you know,
1: it was just a weird era for,
0: for him anyway, but... Yeah, he was real uh the old guard that they threw out, even though he was doing great work and would do great work today. I uh Yeah. He was I doing great see... work.
1: I don't know. I haven't read the D C stuff in a while. It was Yeah, it it was not his strongest work. But who knows how much of that was editorial in that era just being a nightmare.
0: Um Yeah, a lot of that going around. Yeah. Well this was great. I love his work and I would love to see more of it. And um do we know what we're reading for next time? Yeah. So we are not doing a book
1: club in December. That's We're going to kind of reserve that for end of year stuff, catching up, doing whatever. But in January, um, we'll tell you which episode in January. I don't think we've decided if it's going to be the first or the third week because uh, we're still a little, you know, off on the schedule, just as you do. But we are going to be reading one issue, a single issue, it, uh, one whole issue, I know it's so much, it's going to be difficult. Uh, It it is a double-sized issue. So 42 pages? pages. Yeah, something like that. that. But it's... We're going to be reading New Mutants, number 21. This is the the first volume of New Mutants, written by Chris Claremont and drawn by Bill Sienkiewicz. Uh, It is the, as Jake has described it, the Slumber Party issue.
0: That's the title of the issue. It's called Slumber Party. We'll see what that's all about, because I have no idea. Uh, This is uh, the only context I'll give now is that this is a famous issue where the art uh, is very unique and the writing takes on a very different direction. And if this is your first issue of New Mutants, uh, it's definitely a middle part of a soap opera, but it's a great issue that will tell you what everybody's about. And is the origins of most things that most people like about the New Mutants. I think we'll have a blast with it. All right. So if you want to read that, track it down.
1: I don't know what trade it's collected in. It's probably collected in some complete collection or epic collection for the New Mutants, um, because it is pretty classic. Uh, I'm sure it's on Marvel Unlimited as well. Uh, But other than that, Jake, where can they find you on the larger
0: interwebs? You can find me of late at uh, MultiversityComics.com, where I'm writing about the X-Men. You can find me on Twitter at Rambling underscore Moose, where I'm tweeting eh, sometimes about comics. I like to keep it light. Uh, What about you, Elias? Where are you to be found on the greater interwebs? Uh, They can find me on Twitter at Quetzelish. That's
1: Q-U-E-T-Z-E-L-I-S-H. Uh, If you read that aloud to yourself in the mirror at night, uh, you will see the face of the Silver Surfer looking back at you and going, I'm sad. (laughs) I wish I saw that. That sounds great. (laughs) Scary. Yeah, scary. You can also find me uh, writing at multiversitycomics.com. At this point, uh, I think Riverdale will be back. It takes a weird break for like three weeks or something. Wow. Uh, and yeah, it's weird. And I have already finished season four of Babylon 5 and uh, have well finished my summer read of Demon Slayer, but I am still proud of that, so go back and read it, please. Uh, I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, yeah. Until next time,
0: stay broody. We'll see you there.